Hi, I'm Shona, and this is my podcast. I'm a mum, a pre and postnatal trainer, CrossFit coach, yoga teacher, and I don't take myself or life too seriously. Enjoy my podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode, this very special episode of the podcast. I've got a wonderful guest. We've got midwife Joanna McIntyre on with us just now and she has been recommended to me by lots of people as the go-to midwife to speak to um, uh, just really about everything and I've I really enjoyed having a, a good scroll through your social media and <laughs> when I posted that we were podcasting today someone said Joanna stopped me and my wife from getting divorced <laughs> <laughs> so that is like that is pretty good going wouldn't you say wow. <laughs> so anyway um, tell us a bit about yourself and what you do yeah, so um, so I'm a, I'm a midwife first and foremost. So um, my kind of journey throughout my my job's always been a bit kind of alternative. Um, I've always liked having a few things on the go. Love a new training course. Love training new things. So by the time I qualified, I'd, at that point, like baby massage was something I love to do. Hypnobirthing, aquanatal, and then also um, a little bit of aromatherapy as well. So love learning about lots of different things. Um, and from there on, have yeah a business mostly antenatal education which has been great so love teaching the hypnobirthing birth prep all those kind of things particularly for people who maybe aren't aware about their options choices I love to kind of explore that a little bit and find out like what's important to them so they can kind of make the best plan for them um, and then also at the moment I'm lecturing as well um, at a local college that's preparing students that are wanting to go into healthcare. so basically just love teaching um, and learning new things so it keeps me accountable for constantly looking at new research and learning from other people as well so manages to bring all the things that I love doing together which is great that's good and do you do you work for the NHS or do you work privately not at the moment so I did a little bit um, when I obviously qualified worked in NHS and then also did privately for a little bit so at the moment I'm not working clinically as a midwife um because antenatal education has always been the thing that I've absolutely loved so um yeah take a bit of a break from it and we'll see um but yeah pretty busy with other things which has been quite nice but yeah that's good so um what made you initially want to become a midwife and get into this space so I was really quite young actually um one of my friends mum she was a midwife and I always just loved hearing from her and the the biggest thing for me is people don't quite understand why I always say like I couldn't be a nurse and they're always so surprised at that because they see them as so similar but for me, like pregnancy is, it's your body's like at peak performance, which I just think is absolutely amazing, like all the adaptions it goes through. And obviously, yeah, there can be kind of complications for some, but it's just such an amazing journey physically, but also the kind of emotional aspect as well. Um, and seeing the journey that people go through, which I just absolutely love and find so fascinating and how many different aspects of care there are. Um, because there's so many different um obviously paths when you become a midwife and where you can work and specialise in so it's just been something that I've uh, always just thought amazing from that kind of anatomy background um, and then obviously the more I've learned um, like human rights and choices has been something along the way that I've found I've been really kind of quite passionate about as well so so yeah it's been great. Yeah absolutely <clears throat> I so I've been a personal trainer for a long time and only really since 
well I had a baby uh-huh. so my, my little boy's almost 20 months I now I'm a pre and postnatal trainer and I only work with either pregnant people people trying to conceive yeah. or postpartum people yeah. um and I just feel fully feel like I have landed on my feet of like this has been my calling my entire yeah. life it makes me feel obviously it's such an amazing thing to be a part of someone's journey because yeah. I mean it's something that you'd never forget your birth yeah. like having <laughs> having been through it once you've you've obviously been through lots of people's births but um having been through it once it's like it has such a huge impact on your life going forward yeah. and how how you see yourself mm-hmm. um but yeah like I, I love being a part of this journey for people so um the reason that you were excited to talk to me as well because you are really into your fitness yourself aren't you yeah so it's something yeah um kind of from locked in and their own and I had my own sort of struggles as well like I had some like major surgery sort of after um lockdown and me having to learn how to adapt to that after surgery was something that to me was just again we don't realize how little advice and experience it is for people that have so many kind of blocks getting back to exercise and it's that is for me I just cannot believe how parallel it was to again the kind of postnatal space so for me it was like abdominal surgery I had um and I was in hospital for three nights I was told not to lift anything heavier than a kettle for six weeks and the whole time (laughs) and the whole time like when I got home I was like so emotional after it but I just kept thinking how did people do this and then look after a baby like for me I got a whole night's sleep I got like support and people just there was I had no experience there so for me seeing my journey after that getting back into fitness and again the parallels with people that really listen to you your experience and find out how you can adapt exercise and fitness to you or the total general don't do anything for six weeks after that get on with it and I couldn't I was like oh my goodness this is ah, this is so similar to the terrible advice some people get so for me I had and obviously the mental sides of it as well that's been the kind of biggest thing for me and you see so many people again pregnancy sort of getting told just keep the activity levels that you're at before but for many people pregnancy as a time that gives them something to kind of focus on or, or a, a time to um, increase their fitness because I taught aquanatal which I absolutely loved and something that I was so surprised about was even like our kind of pre-session questionnaire was are you currently exercising and the amount of people that ticked no for that but then you spoke to them and they just had this such fixed idea of exercise it needs to be going to the gym or it needs to be like so like structured not realizing that they've got two kids at home they're running about them after like every single day and realize that actually your fitness levels are probably better than mine at times <laughs> so it was yeah so interesting to see that people were using that as a time to get into fitness and we're feeling a lot of people by sort of saying oh just keep doing what you're doing or now's not the time to start anything new and mm. well there's limits to that I mean I wouldn't recommend taking up horse riding or snowboarding at that time um but yeah there's it's such a great time to uh, be able to get people feeling fit physically for birth mentally and you're basically preparing for endurance events so yeah so, that you know. so on that um one of the first questions that I got um and obviously I've talked about this at length but mm. how much does being active during your pregnancy have an impact on your birth and your birth experience so I mean research-wise I can tell at the moment but anecdotally from what I've seen there's so many benefits to it it's obviously the physical aspects if you're preparing I mean your body's going through so many changes like anatomically like structurally your respiratory system cardiovascular system so being able to 
do some kind of movement alongside it helps obviously physically um but the mental side of it the social side of it I always say is huge as well like for many people that's the first time they'll take part in like group classes whether it is I mean going to yoga or maybe it is starting to go into like a small group kind of exercise classes there's it's such a unique time to be able to have both the kind of physical and mental benefits of it so I'd say hugely particularly and people kind of think as well you're thinking of like labour and birth has obviously been physically um tough but even the kind of postnatal aspects of it as well I mean the more you're are spending time moving your body postnatally you're you're going to thank yourself for that as well um I mean obviously we could do a whole podcast about it which you know as you do obviously but um but yeah it's <laughs> And it doesn't, again, need to be sort of structured. Great if you can find someone, do you know what I mean, that is obviously pre and postnatal trained. But whether it is even just slowly getting out, walking, moving your body in a way that feels comfortable to you, I think is uh, hugely beneficial physically and also mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, does it have a direct impact on your birth, though, do you think? We do notice, I mean, there was some interesting research which I can kind of find and send you after to look at, but we do notice significantly a reduction for those who are more physically active in their pregnancies that do uh, uh, tend to have more sort of straightforward labours obviously there are exceptions to that um such as conductions and things like that can obviously have an effect on someone's birth outcomes but we do notice a, a significant aspect with it and that's something I obviously looked at when um training in aconatal was we looked at the benefits of uh, how training and doing any kind of fitness in pregnancy does yeah absolutely have benefits yeah I, I totally agree like I mean it's not going to absolutely guarantee that you have yeah. a, a, a great birth because I know lots of yeah. really fit super fit well, yeah absolutely yeah have, like um like pretty a lot of intervention and things like that yeah. but generally as as you say and anecdotally I think yeah. like we, all, we always want to look at the research but you've obviously delivered a lot of babies in your time and spoken yeah. to a lot of women and you yeah. can it yourself like you've got yeah. that experience so yeah. that's really interesting um I want to know um so you were talking a little bit about induction and mm-hmm. when, when I was writing my birth plan and when I was like going into the research of like giving birth and everything that could possibly happen yeah my my goal as someone who is active and who is on their feet every day and who also likes lifting heavy weights and doing a lot of like high impact stuff my goal was looking after my pelvic floor like that was that was it like so anything that could possibly impact that I was like I I really need to think carefully about that when it comes to my birth plan so um obviously I talk a lot about pelvic floor on this podcast but what would you say would be the the things to look out for if that was someone else's goal so looking after pelvic floor and doing an induction experience or just just generally for for giving birth yeah it's a huge huge topic but I think education is the most important part so thinking about what you're being offered and the knock-on effects that that can have I mean so because people sort of ask kind of generalised questions and it's so hard not to know someone's individual um situation. But if you are being offered, particularly interventions, we know the impact they can have on increasing the chance of assisted births, perhaps cesarean births and complications and so on. So it's just being aware of why you're offered something and weighing up the benefits and risks of it. Because for many interventions that you might be offered, there is obviously that kind of 
we'll talk about the cascade of interventions, like one can lead to another. And that's not guaranteed in any way. But the biggest thing I'd say would be education. If something's been offered to you, and it's even as simple as thinking about your birth environment, your place of birth, where you're choosing to give birth, that is something you really need to be aware of. And something I discuss at classes, because in Glasgow, there's, I mean, kind of three main hospitals, if you're including RH and Paisley. And Queen Elizabeth and the Princess Royal, they've not got midwife-led units. It's one labour ward and they provide midwife-led care in there as well. But it's been aware that as a consultant-led unit. So looking at the research of where someone chooses their place of birth can have an effect on their chance of intervention. So being aware of that, um, finding out also if in your area they offer continuity of care, because again, we know the effects of seeing sort of continuity of care are so seeing the same midwife throughout your pregnancy, labour, birth journey, we know again can significantly reduce the chance of interventions. Um, so something as simple as that, like I discuss home birth a lot, and for many people they kind of roll their eyes at it, but when you show them the research, they're kind of like, hmm, interesting, <laughs> which again won't be for everyone, but it's finding out where are you choosing to give birth, what's that environment like, who's going to be providing care for you and knowing what options might be presented to you. Because if you're going to be birthing in a hospital, you need to be aware that it's not a familiar environment to you and the effects that can obviously have on your hormones and therefore further um, options and choices that might be made. So induction process, we know um, the effects that that can obviously have. It's a lengthy process, um, can increase your chance of assisted births, epidurals and so on. So we know... Um, even like the kind of second stage of labour, so that kind of pushing phase. We know when you have an epidural, it takes away the urge to push. So quite often you are supported with your pushing, which is called directed pushing. So that's when you're kind of told to hold your breath and push, which in some instances can be um, beneficial or what I'm thinking of sort of best outcome in that, that sort of situation. But for others, prolonged stages of pushing we know can have a significant impact on someone's pelvic floor and then result in perhaps an assisted birth and so on so it's again everyone's gonna have a different experience and for them that might be the best birth scenario on that day for them but it's known beforehand if it's something you're concerned about what you can then do such as get information perhaps speak to someone obviously like Rosie who's a um, pelvic health physio um, think about postnatal rehab those types of things which obviously are important I went in a total rant there that is what I'm absolutely <laughs> here for I want those rants that's great um, because you are absolutely speaking my language in fact I saw a study recently about um, it was epidurals and uh, the link between epidurals and people with pelvic floor dysfunction six months yeah. postpartum yeah it's basically what what you're saying like you're taking mm -hmm. away the body's ability to yeah. know when to push and yeah. so you have to do what you what you yeah. i've heard called purple pushing and that's yeah. like, like your body your your uterus actually pushes your baby out not that's, your yeah what I was so lucky to experience and, and unfortunately not many people experience is fetal ejection reflex, reflex. I'd, yeah. I'd heard of it and um like I'd read about it loads but I was like well fingers crossed that happens and I think like I was quite lucky I had a midwife who maybe sounds a bit similar to you and um, my partner said um when does she start pushing I was like babe we've done so much reading <laughs> you know I don't push and she said she doesn't push her body does it for her yeah. and then what it felt like within minutes that's what happened so it was mm -hmm. almost like 
her being there gave my like gave me the permission yeah. to do that uh, so, yeah. um with that in mind like how important do you think it is like the impact of of the midwife that you have um working with you yeah so obviously it's something I get asked about a lot is people say like they can prepare but on the day yes to get a midwife perhaps maybe isn't aligned with their views or so on how do you navigate that and I guess I want to put a lot of pressure on birth partners but part of their role is protector of that birth space so again first and foremost deciding yep the environment that they're going to birth in um if someone knows that they feel anxious going to hospital or clinical area then that's something that you you might want to consider and it's not saying don't go but think about how you can then ensure that you're feeling calm relaxed um as much as possible particularly if it's first going in initially if it's something that's going to release a bit of adrenaline then obviously breathing exercises are so important I mean having a birth obviously I talk about but something that can help you feel grounded going into that space ideally known as much as possible before going in so birth plans birth preferences whatever you want to call it it's not a sort of list of this is only birth scenario that's acceptable to me it's more a kind of case of these are things we've read about these are our preferences these are situations where we might accept it might not accept it and that's taken away a lot of you having to because we're trying to switch off your conscious part of your mind and labor the part that makes decisions isn't the part that's going to help you have an efficient and effective labor so that needs to be switched off so ideally having this discussion with your birth partner or partners before going in means then your midwife can get a feel of what's important to you because there will be times where unexpected things come up but if you are meeting your midwife for the first time it's really helpful for us to have a kind of idea of what you're like out with labor because once you're in labor you're in labor land I've looked after many people and I've came in towards the end um, and then after it, like spoke to them for the first time or and someone, our partner handed her glasses was like, do you want to see your actual red wives actually look like? <laughs> like you're just a completely different um, headspace. So I've been able to get a kind of read of what's important to you for your birth scenario means then if things do change, we can offer alternatives that might be more aligned with what's important to you um, or known right in this situation, this might not be the best plan of care at the moment this is what we might offer how do you feel about that and something I always say it's huge important is asking for time to discuss it alone if you feel in certain situations there is always going to be that kind of power dynamic um, when you're in a healthcare setting and for many people they can feel prepared going in but if it is a doctor midwife and so on they might then feel the urge to just say yep yep that's fine or what you think that's okay it's and it's absolutely fine to say can we have a few minutes to discuss this alone and then go through many people have heard of sorry my pups in the background and um, many people have heard of the brains acronym so looking at the benefits of a situation what's been offered to you what are the risks alternatives what are your instincts say is it a decision that you need to make now that's a good way of discussing it with your birth partner perhaps and it can be a minute two minutes 10 seconds just alone to allow you to think about right this maybe wasn't our ideal plan how can we work through it now and your healthcare providers are there to provide information. It's entirely up to you what you do with that information. And that's really important as well. So it can't even be having a few phrases of thinking about, right, can you explain the benefits of that to me? Can you explain the risks rather than saying, do we need to do that? Because someone might say, well, yeah, I'd recommend it. But recommending it's different to do you need to? Because the bottom line is you don't need to do anything. Um, obviously in certain situations, we will make recommendations. So yeah, that's kind of answered that question that such, <laughs> I think that's such good advice um because I, I think a lot of people don't realize that they can do that they can be yeah. like can I just have a moment to think this uh-huh. um yep. that is so powerful because uh-huh. I think um 
like I know that I'm like this and I don't know if I imagine some other people are but I really I'm a I'm a pleaser I want to be even I say it to myself and I know it's going to go to a GP they offer me something and I'm like eh, eh. and I'm like well like you've thought about this before yeah. like see I'll go away and think about it yeah I'm a pleaser I want to I want to win the award of like patient uh-huh. of the day yeah yeah um yeah. but like that is not the time when you're giving birth like because it's something that you go through like maybe yeah. once or twice or three times in your life like so few times um, and it does have such an impact on your life moving forward it's mm-hmm. really important that you feel heard and feel yep. like that you, like you're listened to yeah um, you're present it, and, and something that I, I say to people all the time and I, I think as a personal trainer um, maybe I'm overstepping my boundary but I don't really care that much but <laughs> birth should not be something that you feel happens to you it's yeah. something you do yep. and, yeah absolutely so um you mentioned hypnobirthing yes what what is that (laughs) um I think this is something I change how I explain it every time someone asks (laughs) so most kind of simple way is it's tools and techniques that are going to support you to feel supported and informed for your birth so when the first ever time I came across hypnobirthing was when I was a first year student and with someone coming into the hospital it was labor ward um and we're told this person's coming in the hypnobirthing and I was like what on earth is that and the midwife I was working with at that time told me to prepare myself to listen to whale noises for the next 12 hours. <laughs> so that was what I was told. So I was like, oh, what is this? And then over time, I hadn't really seen anyone else do it. And it wasn't until there was um, at that time an organization that trained students so we could support people whilst we're um, doing our different training throughout labor. And that was something that I then did and did my teacher training. So it's basically self-hypnosis tools and techniques that help you to understand the physiology of labour and birth and basically how you can help it rather than hinder it because there's so many things in the media which is what we talk about in birth that have an impact on your own beliefs around about labour birth and so on and many of these are completely irrelevant to you but your subconscious mind talk about it being like velcro for negative experiences so it tries to hold on to these in case anything similar happens to you and it can basically trigger your fight or flight mode so what we do is make sure that you have tools and techniques that you can use to identify when you are getting into that fight or flight mode to be able to bring your adrenaline back down and allow your body to produce oxytocin which is the hormone you need for labor and birth because the more we have adrenaline, the more fear we have. We talk about the fear, tension, pain cycle. We see many people that atten- anticipate labour being painful, stressful. So when they experience that first contraction, they tense up. And then the more tense you are, your muscles and your uterus, your body can't do what they need to do. Therefore, it becomes more painful. And that basically ends up in this fear, tension, pain cycle. So there's those aspects to it. And obviously me being a midwife, I'd love to kind of share my experiences and research and so on and um, just uh, chat about things that you can do to increase your chances of having the birth that you want and that looks different to everyone we kind of talk about it can be birthing in the woods with the deer it can be preparing for an elective cesarean in theatre a, a positive birth is not something I decide on what that looks like for you because again everyone's an individual so it's basically I had techniques education to support you and your birth partner for I uh, have the best kind of birth scenario for you so what sort of things can people do to get that oxytocin, to get that pumping? So again, think about your environment. So we know that you need to be in your calm, relaxed state. So you've got your two sort of nervous systems. Your fight or flight mode is triggered when you're in your sympathetic nervous system. So that is to basically 
get you out of what seemed to be an unsafe environment. And unsafe environment could be walking out in front of a bus, but also it could be going to an unfamiliar hospital. Your body can't make that distinguish in the differences between that. So you want to be in the state that is basically like thinking about um, any other mammals that give birth. So think about little cats giving birth in the darkness, away from other people, um, avoiding confrontation, people asking you questions, feeling watched, feeling observed. Anything that has that that feeling of you being watched, observed, um, which is like feeling vulnerable, which... birth inside a hospital. I know, I know. Because <laughs> again, people ask about like one born every minute, and I'm like, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. Because you see, people having to have full on conversations. Yeah, and... I'd imagine having like a film crew there as well. That as well. I remember absolutely. watching, you know, um, Vogue, uh, Vogue and Spencer. Yep, I have. Yep. During lockdown, like they had a documentary, which is actually really funny. Like I love her, and her, I think it was her second baby was or mm-hmm. first baby. I can't remember. Anyway, they ha- that was like the episode one of the documentary, and I was like, "Look, <laughs> why are you doing this to yourself?" And that, like, I mean, she's like oh. full on at the end, like crowning, and the camera crew are there. Oh my god! I can't imagine it's worse. <laughs> it's no, no. We talk about like oxytocin is your shy hormone it needs to feel safe needs to feel loved so it is the hormone that obviously we produce during birth but also during sex so let's talk about your environment for birth your environment for sex do you like big bright lights do you like people that you don't know watching you probably not therefore for birth exactly you need to think about creating that really calm relaxed environment and again if you are going to be birthing an environment where it isn't hostile you are having to travel think about how you can ease that transition into that space so I've had people come into hospital with eye masks on sunglasses on earphones in love it, do it. <laughs> like, literally like a Kardashian uh-huh. but any time to do it it's <laughs> definitely labor and don't again feel bad about um people that are sorry I'm, I'm not being chatty and things like that it's like you're here to birth a baby we're not here to have chat <laughs> like it's fine <laughs> Well, just out of interest, so you said earlier that um, one of you, the midwives was like, get ready to hear whale music. Is, is like, do people, do midwives get grumpy if like people are rude to them? Like what's generally, what, how? I mean, there's been a huge shift like in, in views, particularly about having a birth and like that it was a long time ago and we're seeing a lot more of it now. And again, it's not reserved for people that are having home births that are unattended and so on. And yeah, some people do that and that's great their choice, but we're seeing it in a whole different um experience now and it's and it's great. So I think it's I mean, in any workplace, you don't go to work anticipating that people are gonna be not nice to no. you. <laughs> so there can obviously be times where as midwives it can be difficult because I mean I've seen people with really unsupportive partners and that's been quite tough for me to navigate um but I always say to partners I'm like they're like worried about not being a supportive birth partner I'm like unless you're coming in and sitting playing Pokemon Go like you'll be fine I had that I had that so yeah like the, the least supportive birth partner that you've heard I mean, probably that one. He was going out for breaks to go catch some Pokemon. Um, which I found out after at the time. I would not have been best pleased about it, but it was after. Um, but to be fair, I think she's better without him. Um, so in those situations, <laughs> it can be difficult to navigate. Um, or some people that maybe have had not great experiences of healthcare professionals. That's something I can find um quite difficult to navigate as well. They might be coming in and feel anxious about who they're going to meet. So can 
feel maybe quite confrontational initially but again that's like what my job is to make people feel at ease so it's something that we, we work hard to try and kind of nav um just kind of like uh, get the vibe of the room and see some people want a really hands-off midwife and some people want a lot of support so again that's something that we try and try and navigate as much as possible and if maybe your midwife isn't kind of getting the you want maybe more kind of hands-off vibe and that's something that you can see is um or perhaps in hitting a birth and so I'd appreciate any partners uh, questions directed to my partner or kind of low lighting and minimal conversation those types of things so it's not basically saying stop talking to me <laughs> it's just I want to get into my little birth bubble and great go for it yeah it must be honestly such a hard job being a midwife like having to try and like so my job like I'm trying to read people all the time but they're yeah. not in this extreme like <laughs> place in their life like yeah. they're not like they're fully compass mentis. like yeah. I say that as as someone who has given birth I was on a different planet yeah you're a uh-huh, labor land aren't you yeah, totally <laughs> so like I don't think I would I would be like the 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 best sort of I wouldn't I wasn't turning up the friendly Shona Strong that you're being today. <laughs> but I mean again like that that's why your job is so important and um and it's known that people we don't expect that as well like your midwife does not expect you to be uh uh-huh, like the most uh uh-huh, like friendly conversational bubbly person that you are because if we see that then we know okay maybe you're maybe not as far in, in labor as we'd <laughs> expect <laughs> it's when people phone in and kind of say right I think I'm in labour and I'm like right okay tell me what's happening and they're chatting the whole way through and I'm like okay great or if you get people you hear them throwing the phone at their partner because they're having a contraction I'm like okay maybe you want to come in mm-hmm. <laughs> so again being able to kind of get a feel and if you are in your total birth bubble then we know great then uh-huh, things are happening great okay so what was what's been your most memorable experience as a midwife um I mean, there's been a few really lovely experiences I've had where when I taught aquanatal, I've looked after people that came right from the beginning of their pregnancy. And then I happened oh, to be my wife that was on when they came in, which was so nice. That is amazing. So, that's been so you. lovely. Yeah. They were, uh, was, and they were happy to see me, which was, again, <laughs> was nice. Um, so I've had, obviously, those experiences. It's been lovely. Um, or again, seeing people that have had really maybe quite difficult personal experiences leading up to their birth. Um, like people kind of I've had some people experiencing kind of losses quite close to their birth and so on and then been able to see their birth was actually quite healing for them in some ways um because it brought that kind of new life um into their family and for that's again been something that's been really quite special to be a part of as well but um yeah or some people have had really tough experiences and then have second time around um perhaps been able to access support and been able to come into it and feel that I had they've been able to um get through it in a way where before they never even thought they would have been able to so um but again the best part of the job is it's like your job as well you just meet people from so many different journeys and how they've all got there and it's it's I had just a privilege to be part of it in any aspect whether it is even just teaching um antenatal classes to people it's it's been great that's good um so my next question is um so do you do you actually so you do your antenatal classes yep Yep. and and so that would would that fully prepare someone fully teach someone all about what's going to happen during birth so yeah so I've got my happy birth and birth prep classes so that's like a full kind of eight hour course so that's yeah preparing you for labor birth and the kind of immediate postnatal and then I do if people want a little bit extra like the newborn and postnatal um, workshops I do that alongside it and feeding as well so those oh, are things that I, I love because infant feeding something that's just it's again one of my um 
highly passionate interests that <laughs> I can never read enough about. Um, so yeah, so I do those kind of add-ons as well. So I'd always say find out if you're looking at antenatal classes what it's going to prepare you for. So many people focus on labour birth, which is important, but again, planning and preparing for how you're planning to feed or what your postnatal um life's going to look like relationships wise who's going to be able to support you um and look after you whilst you're I mean, looking at another human being mm-hmm. so yeah find out I had say about yeah yeah because like I, I did so I did NCT mm-hmm. and there was like a, a, a breastfeeding there's a breastfeeding set yeah, yeah. on that um yeah. but I just don't think that like I was fully I, I, I was so focused on actually just giving birth that was it yeah, yeah. and I just assumed that breastfeeding would be like I mean that I mean that's not gonna be hard how hard <laughs> can it be but my, it's natural it's easy <laughs> but my actually looking back I would say that breastfeeding has been the hardest part out of the entire journey like in comparison to um in comparison to giving birth so I, I don't even know if it was like a problem with the way that I was spoken to about it or if it was just mm-hmm. it was like I was too focused on this giving birth and then like oh my god what happens next and, and also interestingly that course taught me taught us nothing about any other ways to feed our babies okay, okay. Just breastfeeding there was nothing yeah. else about okay. that as well so you just kind of had to learn it and what? I know I don't think I've ever used Google so much in my life as like <laughs> this sort of immediate postpartum yep. phase. Um, how would you go about writing a birth plan? I know you said a birth preference. How would you go about writing one? So, I, I mean, there's lots of online templates. I'd say have a little look online at templates, Pinterest, Google and so on and kind of take bits from each that you like. Um definitely would have a plan a b and c that's something that i always say is important um if you're never planning on having a cesarean section still have a little plan about it because you'll be surprised about how many options there are and again part of that kind of preparation is thinking right okay in this situation what would i do discuss it with your partner write down some preferences things that are important to you and then you can forget about it but it's definitely important having like a plan a what is your plan a what do you really want spend time obviously preparing for that but do discuss other um different scenarios and how you navigate that particularly if you are maybe going down a route that does increase your chance of a cesarean section such as induction do you know what I mean it's something I'd say if someone is accepting induction be aware that it's something I definitely suggest you look into and are aware of because so many people don't realize the different just different effects it has on your body um some people kind of plan if they're having a spontaneous labor so not being induced that they want to maybe minimize um painkillers pain relief that they're choosing and then don't realize when they maybe are going down an induction route that the way it interacts with your body is very very different so it's not in any way saying you can't still do that but be aware even so what's using the hormone drip that you get throughout labour it's chemically the same as your own oxytocin but it works very differently in that it can't cross your bloodline barrier so it can't tell your brain to make endorphins so, so the labour that you experience is much more intense and people aren't aware of that and then feel disheartened that they maybe had to accept pain relief but in real life they're actually going through a really intense experience so being aware of what's been offered to you, research and and write some bits down. There's great, the AIMS website I absolutely love. So 
A-I-M-S, I think it's .org. If you could go Ames Birth, you'll see it come up. They've got so much there about choosing your place of birth, um, things about feeding, vitamin K. Um, there's so much on it, how um, monitoring your baby's heartbeat and labour. So again, making those types of choices and what you prefer. There's so much on that website. I'd suggest having a look at that. Um, but again, it's up to someone how they write that down. It can be some notes. It can be, I've had flowcharts, spreadsheets, mind maps, I've had it in every possible um, layout, but something that you understand and something that ideally your birth partner can communicate to midwife. But there's plenty of templates online, find something that you quite like and make some notes. Yeah, um, what that, that BRAINS um, acronym that you used earlier, mm-hmm. like um, especially with inductions. Um, yeah. Like I remember being, it was like my 39 week scan or not scan, sorry, 39 and a half week appointment or something. And the midwife said, right, so I'm going to book you in for next Wednesday an induction. And I was just like, I, I didn't want to have an argument with her, but in my head I was like, yeah. I'm just not going to go to that appointment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like you, I wasn't even being given a chance to let my body... Not support your autonomy. No, no, not yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, and I've spoken to people who have said the same thing. It feels like you're just automatically booked in. And I get that they want your baby to arrive safely. Like that yeah. is their priority. But um, like, again, going back to that BRAINS acronym, like, mm-hmm. do you have to do this? Not yeah. necessarily. And then yeah. also thinking about the impact that that induction is going to have as well. Um, yeah. So you, you've written your birth plan. Um, you've yeah. also you've written your ABC and... And another thing I wanted to say is someone, one of my friends who did your, I think you worked with them one-to-one. Um, what you did for them was, uh, so it, what ha- happened was that they ended up having a C-section, but it didn't feel like an ending up having to. It yeah. felt like there was several things offered beforehand yep, yep. and they didn't want the, all those other interventions. And then they, they asked for a C-section and it was the, them having the confidence to ask for that yeah. and then being told, no, you can't just ask for one and then being like, no, we can. Yeah. And that's what it, and, and yeah. having that confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we talk a lot about oxytocin, but yep. I was listening to a podcast once um, with a obstetrician talking about how testosterone is also a really important hormone yeah. during birth because testosterone is like your confidence hormone. Yep. And if you're more confident, you're going to be making empowered decisions and yep. you're going to be delivering those decisions and say, no, this is what I want. Yep. So that's why the antenatal education is so important because you have yep. that confidence backed up with something. So um what do you do you ever deal with people who um whose birth plan hasn't necessarily gone to plan or feel quite um like they had a traumatic experience or yeah. feel like they didn't go the way they wanted it to so what would be your advice for those people and yeah I've, I've seen people that have had um because again we talk about birth trauma and it's never for anyone else to decide what has been a traumatic experience if that person feels it's been traumatic then that's their experience because there's scenarios that I've looked at and been like oh goodness I hope they're doing all right and they're happy with the experience <laughs> and there's some birth scenarios I think oh that's been pretty good and I go in and they've, they've felt really um upset about it and the common themes we see is as you kind of mentioned is feeling that you were part of that decision-making process like I've seen people that have had polar opposites of what they're kind of ideal scenarios being but they felt that they were listened to respected 
that they made choices <laughs> rather than being told what to do. That was the thing that allowed them to feel that they had a positive experience. And I think that's hugely important. It's, again, like you're saying, asking questions, um, making choices that feel right for you at that time and and being aware that, yep, some things can change. That doesn't mean then that you shouldn't plan for your, your birth in any way because some people think, oh, what's the point and never goes to plan? It's like, well, even more so, there's more variables. It's even more reason to educate yourself about it. Um, so... But yes, I mean, it depends on the extent of it as well. Like I, I hate when we kind of normalise birth as being traumatic and you just get on with it. It's something that's really not spoken about enough in, in that aspect um, because so many of the sort of symptoms we see of PTSD, birth trauma and so on are very similar to post postnatal experiences such as do you feel tired all the time? Has your sleep being affected? Are you not eating much? So these are things that we see with someone who... I mean, is experiencing um can be postnatal anxiety, depression, and so on, but it can get to the point that it can develop into something like post-traumatic stress disorder. So um at that point, if I was seeing someone, because I do birth reflections, so basically talking about someone's experience and um we kind of look back, they might access their notes. That's something that people can do. If you go to the website of the healthcare board that you had your baby in, you'll see a part for accessing your records. And you can request the whole time you were in hospital or that your full pregnancy, and um, you can get your notes and look through them. So for some people, that's things I'll discuss with them um, and look back on it. But it's something that I don't do with someone who is experiencing symptoms of PTSD, and I definitely refer someone on um, to more evidence based trauma um, resolution, such as EMDR. That's um, been so powerful for people that I see that are struggling postnatally um, to help actually process what they've gone through so yeah it's something that we, we shouldn't again minimize and it's definitely that person's experience of whether it's been traumatic or not um but we see so many people that again we ask oh baby's fine you're fine. it's it's fine or but if they're here now and it's all oh, that shouldn't be our our goals in 2023 is just a, a, a healthy baby no, it's like, like, that, that shouldn't be like we that can ask for that's not baseline that's no we, we can ask a bit more yeah, than that yeah, exactly like uh, oh well done you survived childbirth you're still alive like you're not a cave woman like we're got, in the uk it's 2023 uh, it's we should have higher expectations than that yep yeah um yeah. so what what is a birth reflection talk me through so, that so yeah so um usually see people that maybe they're into their second pregnancy now and they're thinking back to their first experience and um it's okay I can't really hear it you hear it alerting me to something exciting outside which is probably nothing um yeah so birth reflection usually see people it's their second um pregnancy and they're planning for their birth and look back to their first experience and, and want to understand it a bit more to see if there's anything perhaps that they can do to change the outcome this time so see a lot of people that have maybe had a long induction um, or maybe a cesarean section and this time they're thinking about maybe having a v-back so even for a vaginal birth after having a cesarean section and they want to kind of discuss if is that something that they can they can plan and do and it's never for me to say yes you can it's usually what I say is right okay talk me through your birth experience and we can maybe kind of let you understand it a bit more um to, to see what your thoughts are around it so it's not any of me saying yes you can do this or no you can't do that it's just exploring it a bit more um and sometimes it can be preparing someone perhaps for like a consultant appointment so questions that they want to ask but maybe don't know 
exactly how to word it or what it is that they're wanting to ask um so yeah it can be done as, as soon as after soon as after or as long as possible but um some people see after their first babies and just want to understand their experience a bit more or fill in the gaps quite a time a lot, a lot of time people have like average where they can't remember it so what we'll usually do is if their partners wanted to come along as well we'd ask them to discuss their experience as well and um uh, exercise I get them quite often to do afterwards is to write their own birth experiences their own versions of it and see how actually kind of all fit together from how the gaps that they had and how they experience it um but again it's something I always check in with someone to make sure that it's they're safe to do it and we're not delving into an experience that maybe they need a bit more support with before we kind of um explore a bit more but it's something that I find is really helpful um and yeah I, I think that would be so healing for people yeah like, just yeah a, a whole range of reasons like yeah. you're getting to talk it like to tell the story yeah. of someone who is going to listen and yeah. going like also really empathetic and and going to be able to yeah. like understand that that was a really like tough experience yeah and also yeah. like like you do it's not just that right okay well that was interesting thanks for telling me you're building upon yeah. it uh-huh. yeah yeah to, to, to move on from this and, and make yeah. it make it a, a bit of a better experience next yeah. time yeah I'd really see like massive value in that do you do that yeah. is it in person physically or do you do it, online? it can be in person or online so for some people it is like they'll have their notes and we'll like screen share notes and we'll talk through it because again sometimes um it's really frustrating but your notes should be in a format that you can understand but a lot of the times people will write in kind of medical terms which isn't easy for someone to access their notes and read through but we should be writing our notes in a way that anyone can understand them um, so for some people it can be they'll send me pictures they want to discuss certain parts of or we meet up in person and go through it um, or maybe I just talk through the experience for some people that's it, different but um, but yeah sometimes notes can be a little bit tricky to understand so that's something we maybe go through a bit as well but but yeah no it's uh-huh, it's a huge experience and I'd hate for people to go away not fully understanding why things led perhaps to a certain outcome I think that would be a dream job for me because I just love when people tell me their birth stories. I could sit and listen to them all day. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that'd be a dream job. Um, So that has been so, so interesting, Joanna. Is there anything else um, that you want to chat about or discuss um, before we bring this to a close? I think we've yeah, discussed everything that I was quite keen to chat about. Um, but it's, no, it's been great hearing your experiences as well. And um, and yeah, obviously you can share my email if anyone's got any questions about anything that I've discussed and want to ask more about or obviously my Instagram as well. Yeah, um, yeah I'm always happy to chat. Yeah, I ha- yeah, I'm always happy to chat about um, things as well. Um, and obviously I like to share lots of things on my pages. So if anyone's got any questions about it, I'm always happy to answer. Brilliant. So they can work with you with antenatal classes, with hypnobirthing, yep. birth prep, and um, birth uh, reflections as well. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Excellent. Well, thank <laughs> you so much for coming on. It's been just, I've just loved it. And hopefully we'll maybe have you back to talk about something else. I'd love um, that. Thank you so much. Yeah, great. Well, you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.